Yeah, it's actually raining right now as we are recording this podcast. But because of the dense tree above us, we actually can't feel any. (laughs) We're we're not yet feeling any uh, heavy rainfall, but there's a thunderstorm and (laughs) we're just stuck underneath this um, huge tree canopy. And then there's the roosting and all these animals (laughs) And mind you, this is in in Bangsa. Okay, so um, so this is our third instalment of the podcast series that's in conjunction with COP26, and the idea of this um, series of episodes is to discuss, you know, different things from our uh, nationally determined contributions to uh, different topics. And today we we're bringing something a bit closer to home for us, which is the built environment and uh, you know low carbon uh, developments and things like that. So um, you've you've heard us uh, on audio on podcast, so now you can see who's who. Uh, over here we have Regina, and then that's Gregus from Denmark, the Denmark representative. And in our podcast, Yamona was scaring the Malaysian um, perspective. So today we're just going to have a conversation. We're going to talk about uh, green buildings. We're going to talk about green townships, low development, uh, low carbon uh, societies. And so let's get this started. Um, first and foremost, uh, Green buildings, that's what we all do. We specialize in green buildings. So how do you all think green buildings is actually going to help tackle the climate change crisis that we're having? Any opinions? <laughs> Let's go. It's <laughs> <laughs> <was> the key. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I think maybe I can go first about yeah. the... I mean, the building sector uh, accounts for, I think, about 40% of the CO2 emissions. Um, but even more than that, uh, a bit like what Winston Churchill said, uh, that we shape buildings and then they shape us. So, so not just how we build the buildings, but also how we, uh, how we construct our uh, neighborhoods and uh, city planning. Um, so, for example, uh, I mean, in, in KL, most people have to uh, drive to work uh, because the, the city is simply not constructed um, for, let's say, cycling like we did to get here, or some of us did, uh, Vivian. <laughs> um, so, so therefore, it's, it's not just about buildings, but also, I would say, city planning. Mm-hmm. And, and, for example, having uh, gardens like Kebun Kebun Bangsa in the city plan, uh, where you can actually then have this uh, wonderful uh, natural environment um, and you don't have to go for some uh, holiday and a fly to some little tropical island. Mm. You know, a tropical island is actually in the neighborhood. Uh, so that will lead, of course, to a much more low carbon uh, lifestyle and give more, more life quality. And, and you're a cycling celebrity. Gregor <laughs> is a cycling celebrity. Check out his YouTube page. <laughs> but yeah, can you tell us a bit about your cycling journey? To mm. and, and how that began when you came to Malaysia visit. Okay. Uh, well, I I'm from Copenhagen, so that's one of the uh, cycling capitals of the world. And uh, I was actually a bit sad when I moved to Malaysia. I mean, I was excited about it, but I I was very sad when I realized I I, I have to get a car here. I mean, you just can't cycle around. Actually, I didn't even consider cycling for the first few years because traffic was crazy. It was super hot, and there was no cycling infrastructure. Uh, and also, yeah, you drive in the other side of the road from what I'm com- used to. So, but then after a few years, I warmed up to the idea. Uh, I bought the uh, Proton uh, mountain bike, 
which many people don't know about. I think it was discontinued. It's actually, a, I was told, a collector's item now. Mm -hmm. um, and then I started uh, realizing it is possible to cycle in KL, but you just have to select the, the roads carefully. Um, so you have to go on Very roads carefully. that <laughs> <laughs> Very carefully, yeah. uh, roads that uh, have, I mean, I, I normally say not faster than 50 uh, kilometers an hour traffic. Um, and then, so, so you don't get hit from behind from some fast car. And then uh, the biggest challenge or risk is actually the road itself. I mean, you really have to look out for potholes, grills. Uh, often these grills run parallel to the road. So you might tire might go yeah. inside um, and then of course you have to feel comfortable on a bicycle yeah. uh, so you can sort of uh, a bit like motorbikes do it right you can mm. go between cars uh, so but but I definitely found out I mean I'm, I'm quite comfortable on a bicycle so uh, so bicycling bicycling is feasible but I wouldn't uh, blanket recommend it uh, <laughs> to most Malaysians because uh, a lot of Malaysians are not so comfortable on a bicycle mm, so yeah. it's always safety first do you think it's grown over the years that you've been here, like cycling as a yeah. means of commuting rather than recreation? Because I know a lot yeah. of people cycle mm. for recreation. Yeah, yeah. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, yeah. and it's just growing more and more. But yeah. commuting though, I don't see so much of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it has grown, but it's still very little, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, so for example, when the bicycling, uh, the first bicycling route in Kuala Lumpur opened, uh, going from Madeka Square up to Mid Valley. Uh, and that happens to be, I can ride part of that as part of my commute to the office. Mm -hmm. uh, but I never uh, never met anyone, you know. I mean, uh, the, maybe once or twice I met like a motorbike, but never any cyclist. And, and if you want, met another commuter, uh, I mean, you really sort of would, would wave to this person. And uh, yeah. I even made friends with one and we were going the same direction. Mm -hmm. Struck up a conversation. And <laughs> Because we were all of the, the few who lived to tell about commuting by bicycle, right? <laughs> and I mean, that's such a contrast from Copenhagen, where more than 50% of the population commutes by bicycle, uh, yeah. where you don't have time to wave to everyone. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I see more uh, people cycling now, and uh, definitely spurred on by COVID as well. Um, so. So, I, so my hope is that now that people have actually invested in these bicycles, obviously they like to bicycle um, and they love to do it in their free time, yeah. it always starts with recreation. Yeah. But they will ask themselves, why? since I love bicycling so much, why can't I do it in my commute? Mm. And so my hope is there will be some uh, ground swell uh, demand for better cycling infrastructure. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And I think going back to you, I mean, like we, were, we were talking about the environment mm. and maybe people don't see how big an impact transportation has on overall carbon emissions and how the built environment or the buildings that we live in actually affect the decisions that we make in terms of transportation as well. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously going to be more of an urban sprawl, um, which, you know, the cost of living in the city is being so high yeah. because I mean, there's further Yamuna, you live. <laughs> Tell us about your daily transportation <laughs> <to> work. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I live in Shah Alam and I, trans, uh, and I and I drive every day from Shah Alam to Kuala Lumpur and the traffic is horrible. <laughs> exactly. It is really bad. You see, the reason why I got a car and not use a public transportation is mainly the accessibility. Mm. So you see, the reason, I think one of the reasons and the problems or the challenges that we're currently still facing is that you know, the accessibility and the efficiency of the public transportation is not still as good 
enough for people to conveniently travel you know and even if let's say you know I, there are countries where they you know they have separate lanes for buses and taxis to go so that you know it'd be convenient that, that's the that's the point of public yeah. transportation right yeah. but we don't see that here in in, in the city right mm. yeah so yeah so given given the opportunity and improved uh, infrastructure for it you would you wouldn't mind taking the train yeah, rather than mind. driving yeah, and yeah, inside yeah, the traffic yeah. right Okay, great. Yeah, and I think like I I don't know as as Bimila consultants, I think we also try to make as much influence as possible in the buildings, you know. Mm. But there's only so much that can be done when uh, uh, you know the building you know they've already selected a certain site. But I think the best they can do is maybe we try to have a good network towards like existing public transportation nodes and things like that. So. Mm. But also yeah. providing the facilities right in the buildings, that's where you can come in. Yeah, like exactly. having a shower, like proper storage for the bicycle. Exactly. So people who actually want to cycle, they have a place to park their bikes and also a place to change and shower before mm. they go to work. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's where buildings can actually come in exactly. as well. So that's on transportation in the built environment, but green buildings in general, I mean, we, we look at other things at all as, as well. We look at energy efficiency, indoor environmental quality. Let's talk about indoor environmental quality for a bit, you know, and how that, how do you think that has any tie into the bigger picture um, of, you know, how, how, how uh, people's perception or people's behavior or choices that they make, things like that, how does that impact the built environment and our uh, yeah, I mean, you, you mean the indoor environment? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think there's a growing understanding that it's not just about having the temperature setting right. Uh, it's it's all. I mean, we our, the human body has a lot of. Uh, I mean, we have eyes. We we smell things. We. Uh, I mean, you can almost like feel if it's a nice space to be in. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, so getting, I mean, making buildings that are uh, healthy mm. Uh, mm. Uh, is very important, actually. Yeah. Uh, and, and the big, uh, the, uh, as green building consultant, I always say, okay, we can save uh, your energy bill, mm. and there's a good payback time on that. But yeah. but actually, the biggest benefit is if we, when we build a building that is uh, conducive for human mm. occupancy. Mm. and where people, uh, the building sort of stimulates people. Mm -hmm. uh, so you, you get some daylight, you have some view out, you get fresh air, mm. and that means you're just much more healthy, you, mm. you're more productive at work, you're less sick. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, so that's the main benefit of uh, green buildings, I would say. But I think, yeah. 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 But I think we should also maybe look at building a different perspective, right? It can just be like a living organism, right? It's not just a place where you work, mm -hmm. but you can also bring nature back mm -hmm. to the building, exactly. to the urbanized area where like the building itself can be a source of generating food, like urban farming, we're yeah. also talking about that. Yeah. Uh, being energy efficient, but at mm. the same time producing energy right for mm, the people yeah. who are actually living and working in it, mm. and um, I mean basically bringing back some biodiversity. Well. So I think it can be a very holistic picture, and I'm mm. sure Gregus will want to talk about his goal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about the goat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, no, but I think this contact with nature is, uh, is I mean, which is called biophilia, yeah. uh, is uh, that's a realization that it is very important. Mm. 
and uh, and I think I mean you whenever you see an architect present his building you will have a blue sky and then there'll be like three birds <laughs> or something like that on the sky right yeah. um, but in reality how do you bring uh, nature to your your building right so of course good landscaping um, and uh, you might have some butterflies and so on but um, what, what I have proposed uh, a few times is a little bit like the concept we are here, where we have animals walking around. Yeah. So instead of having a gardener who comes and, uh, and does all the gardening on all the different uh, terraces of the building, why not build the building? Uh, so this can be done by nature itself, for example, by introducing a goat. That <laughs> 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 can climb around. Um, and and basically prune the landscape, but also um, fertilize the landscape, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because it's sort of, a, if you go to uh, Ireland or, or other places like that, you will see the grass is so green mm -hmm. and nicely pruned by all these uh, sheep or whatever. And that's because they, they prune that, that grass, but they also fertilize it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so why can we not have that on the buildings? And it's actually very fun as well to watch goats because they're very good climbers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, so you, you could sort of look for the, where is the goat today? You know, and, and is it really able to climb up that ledge or jump over there? You know? So I think it's a very fun idea, but so far, I think it's almost 10 years now, I haven't been able to convince anyone <laughs> yeah. to do We're this. We're still trying, this mission is going strong. <laughs> so now, okay, let me try again. I appeal to steal the good idea. <laughs> Yeah, and we uh, not so long ago did an article on um, breaking the barriers between indoor and outdoor because I think a lot of people coming out of you know out of the uh, pandemic as well they really want to have this connection and a good example of that of biophilia like you mentioned Gregus is um, our project Pyramid where mm. you know I think that's a perfect example of uh, biophilia properly integrated with a building I, I think mm. for the occupants. They've also, you know, that there's been a survey, right? And, and yeah. 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 It was, uh, it was a factory in Penang, and the uh, former factory was like a typical factory. So very few windows, uh, everything was artificially lit. Uh, and we worked with uh, very good architects here in Malaysia, design units, uh, and and the concept was basically that every space in this factory should have views out to greenery. Uh, daylight uh, and he uh, he basically named this factory the, the factory in the forest mm -hmm. uh, so it was in a, one of these industrial parks where there's just uh, it's quite a soulless place I mean it's just all of these flat green fields uh, not much nature at all uh, and this factory uh, is so lush I mean now uh, mm -hmm. three four years after it's started yeah. operation uh, when you park your car it's almost like lost in, mm. uh, in the forest, right? Because it's so bushy and and um, and it's so nice, and and the staff really loves it. We did a uh, anonymous survey uh, where we asked them uh, what they liked about the building, um, and uh, a third of them said this contact with nature was what they really liked, mm -hmm. uh, and the natural environment. Uh, and the conducive work environment. Exactly. Uh, so, and, and we also asked, uh, do, do you like your, uh, prefer the old factory or the new factory? Uh, the old factory is on the island, this one is on the mainland, and 90% uh, said they prefer the new factory. So, 
So very good feedback. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about a low carbon society, a low carbon development. What is your vision or what do you perceive a low carbon development to be in your in your own words? What is your vision of a low carbon uh, city or a low carbon uh, development? Uh, my vision. Actually, it's quite uh, similar to what Singapore is doing, where um, essentially your big monsoon drains turn into rivers, your um, drains become streams, your drains become um, you know, really like small creeks in, in, in that sense. You bring back nature back into an environment um, and you're engineering it back into the environment, right? And, and in a sense, when you look at buildings um, and when you are trying to bring in another level of greenery as well, like um, covering the facade or the top of the building uh, with greenery that at the same time which is also harvesting water essentially the whole topography landscape becomes a sponge to bring in water as well mm. but at the same time you're insulating the building so I, I would see it that way and when you when you bring in more and more greenery into public spaces and also um, all these spaces right what happens is you are bringing people out as well you're allowing people to come out as well to walk to enjoy the space you know the only space that we actually truly enjoy right now is actually indoors isn't that sad right so <laughs> so i would say that that would be my vision of what a low carbon city would look like uh, from an architectural point of view so yeah <laughs> yeah mona wow <laughs> what is your vision slightly stuck already <laughs> Uh, I think my vision for a low carbon city would be a city that is efficient, that is accessible, that is sustainable. You know, uh, wow, elaborate on each one of it. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So when I when when we speak about low carbon city or low carbon development, I feel like it should be very efficient in terms that. It reduces carbon footprint significantly, and everything that is used to build is sourced sustainably. And uh, yeah, pretty much that. And and also there has been a lot of talks on circular economy going around uh, since the twelve pollution plan. And I hope that you know that it, it won't be just a plan, and we will actually be incorporating them into uh, incorporating them into uh, into actions. My vision of a low carbon development is, I think, probably very idealistic. In a, quite similar to what Yamona and Vivian mentioned. So, I hope that we can live in a sustainable manner, meaning that we are very energy efficient buildings. And it's still my dream to one day be able to build one building that is triple zero, uh, zero carbon, zero waste, and zero water. So, hopefully, in my lifetime, I will be able to like be part of a project like this um, but also to basically live with nature live beside nature as well um, to uh, because we live in a very urbanized area so uh, it would be really nice to have you know be able to grow your own food uh, and 
yeah, to have biodiversity coming to you as well. Um, and to see a lot of nature. Yeah. Uh, but of course at the same time to have a good indoor environment, right? Because ultimately we spend so much time uh, working and living in uh, indoor spaces as well. Yeah, so I mean, that's my dream and I, I think we also talk about like infrastructure where we need to have accessibility to low carbon transport like public transport, the train and cycling infrastructure. So I think that will be my ideal low carbon development. Yeah, I can maybe add to that. I think uh, the problem, uh, well, the problem or the challenge with cities in Malaysia is that, that you have urban heat island effects. Uh, there's so much concrete and, and living without aircon mm. uh, is not really possible, at least not in the daytime. Mm -hmm. um, in the tropics. Yeah, in the tropics. In a country, um, in a city like, like Kuala Lumpur. But mm. once you introduce greenery on a big mm. scale, uh, you can actually, uh, it's, it's actually a very cool place. Actually, I, I had the amazing experience of hiking here in Malaysia and I felt cold, I mean really cold for the first time without the forest. <laughs> so once you have all this greenery, uh, you don't need the aircon, you need a, a fleece jacket. And I wish I had two, <laughs> two of them. So, uh, and I think Sheila, where you live, you, you have I do. pretty good and uh, I, I, environment, right? I'm very mm. lucky in that sense because I think um, I live in an apartment with a very good airflow. Mm. Right. And it's an older apartment from the 60s. Mm. And it was designed in such a way, you know, that it has very good cross ventilation mm. and we're always having good airflow. Sometimes I'm even with a hoodie in, in the apartment <laughs> because the, the airflow is really good. So I'm very lucky in that sense. I've almost never like I've lived there for four years I can count with two hands the number of times I've actually turned on the AC uh, and I think like a lot of newer buildings are not designed with that in mind it's designed with air conditioning in mind yeah. naturally so you know a lot of glazing um, not good quality glazing and, and, and things like that so that it, it's sad because it's, it's sad when I when I hear friends you know got a new apartment and then they got a new apartment with this you know, built in with so many air conditioning units. So that's the first thing that comes to their mind is yes, I have all these air conditioning units. So you don't even think that I'm going to have natural ventilation. And then the saddest part to me is I have a new apartment with uh, a dryer. <laughs> and I, I just can't believe in my brain why we would need a dryer in Malaysia. You know, because I mean, all you need is a small balcony space to, to hang your clothes up. But there's so many, you know, comments about that you know you don't want to have a balcony space because you don't want the facade of the building to have like hanging clothes I'm sure there are ways that they can design yeah. to incorporate that because we've got so much heat but such good you know winds to yeah. dry your clothes yeah, out yeah, yeah. naturally that you don't yeah. a dryer it just <laughs> that's, that's one thing I like about the Singapore HDB flat yeah, yeah, because yeah. they actually provide the that, facilities yeah. now for you to hang your clothes and you know in the past you just like lift out your bamboo stick mm. Yeah, out yeah, yeah. outside your house yeah. and that's like what's happening in my parents place wow. but in the newer one because uh, they take into consideration maybe some older people may not have the strength yeah. so they have this like a metal oh. metal thing where you can just uh, retract it automatically wow. for you so you don't oh. even need to like carry the heavy bamboo stick out wow yeah yeah so i think that's quite so cool it's, it's really yeah, cool yeah, yeah. how we can actually learn from I mean, buildings in the past were designed for our climate. Yeah. I mean, the older buildings, they were designed yeah. for our climate to accommodate everything that we, we, yeah. we, we have. Yeah. 
And I think like like the HDB flats, we can learn so much from that, right? We can learn to innovate from those designs to provide good ventilation and things like that. So yeah, so um, that's all for. Thank you so much for sharing your visions on a low carbon uh, society, low carbon development, and I think. That's a wrap for this episode and we will be back with our next episode tomorrow, the um, COP26. They will be uh, wrapping things up over there and we really hope for a good outcome. We really hope for some of our visions to come true in the next couple of years, hopefully. And we'll see you in our next episode. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.